Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You know what I want. <laughs> not Samsung, Greg. Not Samsung. Not what? Not Samsung. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Rapcast. This is the Outside Looking In series, wherein I, Samson Folk, talk to 29 or I guess 30 other people about their team and about the Raptors so that you, the listener, can figure out, hey, what do people think about my team? What do you think about me, me, me? And then you also kind of slowly learn about the league at large. That's the hope. That's the dream. Today, I was very greedy. Many of you might remember Steph No from the conversation we had uh, premiere or just kind of setting up for the Raptors playing game against the Bulls. D.R. DeRozan, obviously, she was the star of that. That's what most people remember now. And Larry Golden from the last year's Outside Looking In. And why I'm greedy is I was like, I enjoy talking to both these guys. I want both. So here we are, Steph of Sporting News and the Larry Golden fan club. He's the president. And uh, Coach Lero of Swish Theory and of Cerebro Sports. Fellas, we'll start with Coach Lero. How you doing, man? Man, I'm I'm ecstatic to be back on the pod, man. And this is uh, amazing that you asked me to come back on. And then on top of that, I get to pod with the legend, Steph No. So it's like, this is perfect for me. I'm in a happy place. I got two of, two of these guys that I consider kings of this basketball world so uh i'm i'm very ecstatic man thank you for having me back on brother of course steph how does it feel to be called the king do you see why i'm the president of the laro fan club now you see how much of a natural this guy is he just turns on the charisma like that it's immediate it's immediate okay let's start fast actually steph we'll start since it's the you wanted to ask me a question we'll start there just to get it out of the way Yeah, I don't know if anybody has heard or not, but (laughs) there have been rumors about Damian Lillard going to every single team in the NBA. The Mm -hmm. latest is, I think um, Mark Stein had something right, and also somebody else, I can't remember who, had something today that the Raptors are the frontrunners. So, Samson, you got your finger on the pulse more than anybody else, uh, Raptors related. I'm wondering... Is this just a bunch of smoke? Uh, is it a bunch of people that write for the NBA being bored, or like what do you what do you peg the chances of this actually happening? And also, I mean, I guess as long as I'm asking, um, like, do you like the the Dame fit on this team? Because I kind of do. Okay, so I'll say just for the listeners, since I think this will come out Friday, if Dame has already been traded, just I timestamp every episode. Skip ahead. There's lots of non Dame stuff obviously coming. I will say that the Raptors, like any team, are looking at the Blazers situation and saying, how cheap do you think we can get Dame for? And then obviously the Raptors, a team that has been completely bereft of shooting over the past couple of years, has had a bottom five half-court offense the last two seasons. And the last time they had a good one, Kyle Lowry was on the team. 
They had Norman Powell still halcyon days, right? Um, Dame, I think, is underrated in the dialogue currently. Like, just because Portland seems to, they're like, can we get more than Tyler Hero and a couple picks for this guy? Um, people are like, yeah, is Dame that good? You know, Miami's like, we don't even want him. So there's a lot of stuff, but Dame can just single-handedly turn your offense into like a top five offense. And depending on how many people the Raptors can keep in the fold, which is why their interest is there, is they're like, oh, pennies on the dollar. I love paying pennies on the dollar. There's a famous pennies on the dollar trade in our, you know, recent past. The Kawhi thing. Um, I would love if Dame was in Toronto. If he reported, it would be a funny story to cover if he didn't. I mean, like you lose stuff, that's bad. But I think the interest is real. The conversations are real. Uh, maybe a 35% chance that he's wearing a Raptors jersey. And I would, I think that would be a very fun team to cover. And there's like the, you know, analysis of Scotty or OG and what that means. But we don't have to dive too heavy into it. How, how's that for an answer? A meandering one. I think 35% is pretty good. Yeah, I think most Raptors fans would take that. I said yeah. uh, before we started recording, for, I mean, the Bulls have been one of these teams that have been rumored too. And I mean, I, this is just a total guess, you know. There's no inside info for me. But I would put it at like 5 or 10%. And I'm pretty happy with that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that's... Um, I mean, we'll get more into it, I'm sure, but just like both of these teams, if they just kind of run it back, I think they're going to be two of the less interesting teams just because we kind of know where both of them are. So just to shake things up with Dame, too, would be super fun. Well, let's let's have you guys first, Steph, and then Laro elaborate on, and you feel free to disagree, Laro, but why do you think the Raptors would be not that interesting as a team this upcoming season if nothing shakes out in the trade market? Uh, yeah, I can go first. I mean, I think both these teams, both the general managers kind of overvalue continuity. And there's this um, cognitive bias that I think a lot of general managers have. It's called, um, oh, crap, what is it called? I can't remember, but it's like when you value something you have more because you are in possession of it. Um, so yeah, Arturus Karnaschovas for the Bulls. I mean, he is just kept this roster intact year after year after year, even though they haven't really given him a uh, reason to do that. And uh, I think it's pretty similar for Masai. You know, I think Masai was really making some big hits, you know, a couple years ago, but he's just kind of kind of lost the fastball a little bit. <laughs> um, and I think like from the outside looking in, yeah, I mean, a lot of people, of course, I mean, there's so much smoke that they should break this team up just because with both of these teams, actually, I think that the sum is not, as much as uh, I should say, like the the whole group is not as much as the sum of the parts. I think a lot of that is just because, like in the modern NBA, you've seen that even if you have a lot of talent, like shooting is the great equalizer, right? Both these teams don't have very good shooting, so you're not going to be able to maximize, especially like your top end players when you don't have that shooting. So yeah, I mean, I just think that's just like a really good reason why. Uh, I mean, you try to mix it up a little bit with uh, Dame, who's I think would help both these teams a ton just because, yeah, he is that shooter and he is that creator that can, you know, make these offenses more modern, I suppose. Laro? Endowment effect. That was the bias I was thinking about, by the way. It's an endowment effect. Uh, Yes, you taught me something today. I didn't know anything about that, brother, but um, taking notes. Um, Well, I agree. I agree with everything Steph just said. Um, I think... (sighs) You talk about, like, it's one thing for 
Golden State, uh, the Bucks, you know, uh, Philly. I know they're going through some stuff right now, but uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> but like teams that have stars, teams that have surefire guys that can, you know, take you to the next level. Um, I could see continuity being like, you know, we need to keep our guys and let's let's just add around, you know. <sighs> and I, I don't want to sound disrespectful or to the to these players or anything like that. And I'm not going to come off that way. I, I just wanted to make sure I, I got that out there. But I, I just feel like, you know, Zach Levine, uh, Vucevic and DeMar, they, they've kind of hit their ceiling. They've kind of topped out at what they can be. Um, and. I just think for a GM like, you know, Arturis to say continuity, I just don't understand what he thinks that next level can be or if they, you know, what he sees, what he envisions um, this team doing with these three as the the key cogs. Um, and man, it, it, I, it is like Steph said, it's kind of like unless like you get an outlier season from, I don't know, you know, Vucevic where he's shooting 40% from three again. Um, and he, you know, he's still playing the same amount of good, you know, same, well, I won't make it sound like he's some uh, anchor on the defensive side of the ball, but like, he's, you know, still giving you that same type of effort while giving you that 40% from three on good volume. Um, you know, we need Zach Levine to take, I don't know, 10 threes a game. Uh, uh, you need, you know, Kobe and and Pat to take these leaps to and I think that's really what it is and I know maybe we'll talk about it more but just the general like I just don't understand what um I think you know like I said Steph said the right word and uh continuity I don't know what he vowed like there's no you know Giannis or Joel Embiid you know anything on this team so I just wish they would have gone in a different direction maybe you know did some different things other you know but guess we're going to have to look forward to, uh, you know, the same old stuff and just hoping for some outliers, you know, things to happen. It's interesting, the continuity point. Macro trends in the NBA, one of the biggest indicators of uh, a good season, increased wins in the NBA is roster continuity from one season to the next. People aren't that focused on the jumps from 28 wins to 36 or maybe 37 to 44 or something like that people are typically focused on ceiling and i haven't seen the macro data on continuity equaling ceiling uh we've seen a lot of teams right before they win the championship radically they shake up the, a rotation maybe not the starting lineup but at the very least rotation um we saw it with the bucks obviously the lakers i mean they just their continuity or the shakeup was just like, oh, we have to have these guys healthy. And that was different. Uh, the Raptors got Marcus Saul at the trade deadline after getting Danny Green and Kawhi at the start of the season. Um, Denver is just, I mean, Jokic and those guys, they got Jamal healthy maybe is the best case, actually. Something has to happen rather than just running it back. And I think that's why people, fans uh, of both the Bulls and the Raptors, are maybe looking at their respective teams and saying, you can run it back and maybe you beat the Vegas odds for the win-loss. Like maybe maybe you're better than some people think, but are you good enough to justify expensive teams? Are you good enough to justify not moving guys on to put yourself in a better position moving forward? The Raptors, it seems like, are betting on Scotty Barnes. That leap 
is what shakes things up. If it's not a trade, it's not, you know, Pascal going somewhere, uh, Dame coming in, whatever machinations might be going on with trade machines, et cetera, and, and GMs, it would have to be Scotty radically altering how they approach and, and how they win minutes. Who knows if that happens? It's maybe not super likely, but is there an X factor like that on the Bulls? And we'll start with you, Coach. Uh, for me, I think it's right around the same lines of like a Scotty Barnes. I think for this team to potentially hit another level, it's got to be Pat. I think I think Patrick Williams has to be, well, I should say the organization is banking on, you know, hoping Pat takes that next step, you know, and uh, I just, you know, me being somebody that's really, really high on Pat, um, I just feel like this whole go of it, you know, since he's been drafted, it's kind of been tough. You know, he's been put in uh, situations where he has to produce now um, and not really put in a position where he can kind of slowly come along and, you know, progress and, and um, develop. Um, but I just think that's the guy. Uh, you know, some people may say Kobe um, because uh, how he played down the stretch of last season. But I think in order for this team to take another step, I think it's got to be that big wing and Patrick Williams being able to score 15, 20 points seems like super, <laughs> super high and lofty. But uh, like that's the guy I feel like in order for this team to take, some, to the, take the next step, it's got to be Patrick Williams, in my opinion. Steph, any uh, remedies for what the what ails the Bulls over there? As far as internal development, yeah, I mean the Bulls only really have one option. We're not one of these teams with the luxury of <laughs> good young prospects. It's uh, it's Patrick Williams and then Laro's kid, who I heard is good at karate, but I don't know how he is at basketball. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, you were mentioning like some of these teams before that um, like shook things up at the end to improve. And you mentioned the Lakers. I actually think the Lakers last season, you were talking about the championship Lakers. Sure, sure. But the Lakers last season is a great example of what we were talking about, where, you know, they were terrible before <laughs> the trade deadline. Like they were not going to make the playoffs. And they ended up getting to the Western Conference finals. Same core guys, you know, but they got those guys to play a lot better, the whole team to play a lot better, just because they added shooting, you know, they added D'Lo, who is a very flawed player. He can make a crap load of threes, and he shot it at like 40% last year. Uh, they added Rui Hachimura, who's traditionally not been a great three-point shooter, but he was shooting 50% for them in the playoffs. So you add like a couple pieces like that, all the other guys suddenly get a ton better. So I think that's the hope, both with the Bulls. I mean, the Bulls added some three-point shooting guys who are like, okay, Javon Carter, good three-point shooter, but not a ton of volume. Torrey Craig, a little bit above average, probably for his career, maybe like right at average. Uh, not a ton of that volume. And the Raptors are trying to do the same thing. You know, they drafted Grady Dick specifically for that purpose. I think that they were kind of hurt. Like, I didn't love their shooter signing just because, like, a lot of the stuff that Raptors fans hated Fred Van Vliet for, holding on to the ball a lot, not being able to finish at the rim, not being able to spread the floor. You know, he misses 60% of his shots. I mean, I'm sorry to break it to you guys, but Schroeder's <laughs> kind of that same guy. <laughs> So they really needed shooting. Samson, I've listened to a bunch of your podcasts too. I mean, you've really harped on this too, especially when you have Pearl out there who I love his little push shot. It's like really cool. And it does work from like 15 feet out. He's like shockingly accurate with that. But again, like he's only stretching the floor from maybe 10, 12 feet tops. 
I've and, watched uh, Jakob put up a lot of jumpers in practice. Yeah. He not even it, even in practice he doesn't go beyond the three point line. Man. Yeah, like he's like, yeah. ooh, no, we don't want to go out there. But you just have so many non shooters in there, and like you're not going to get Sky developed that way. It's just not going to happen. You know, like you can't score in the NBA when you have a congested paint when you have all five defenders with a foot in the paint. It's just impossible unless you're like a top five guy. So I think both teams just really, really desperately need to add shooting, not just to get better, but also to develop guys like Pat, to develop guys like Scotty. It's just so important. The thing that I'm really interested on is unfriendly contexts can sometimes lead to unique development. And unique development is cool. Maybe, you know, like Pascal Siakam is a really good example of this, that he is by far at his best at playing in space. And so much of what made him impressive was his ability to put fours and fives, some threes on ice you know, how he moves offensively with a live dribble is really impressive and guys can't keep up with him. He beats the help side defense to the glass. That's awesome. And he's playing in space next to Kyle Lowry. Kyle leaves. The shooting kind of goes away. They're no longer the layups and threes team that they were for a decade with Kyle Lowry. They're the, we offensive rebound. We, everything is, you know, messy and dirty. And Pascal Siakam starts operating out of a phone booth in the middle of the floor oftentimes facing doubles and not playing in space very often at all. And it leads to this really unique development as one of the better, you know, front court passers against doubles and especially at keeping a dribble alive to draw guys out, reassert, you know, in that, in that ISO, maybe in the mid post or whatever, like those are really cool developments that came along because of the unfriendly context. But, is that more valuable for Scotty than maybe being able to run like an actually spread out spread pick and roll or having a ton of spacing and being able to, in a pinch, run a lot of the same sets that Demonis Sabonis and Draymond Green do? Like it, it, I know Scotty is sold on the point guard thing and I hope he gets some possessions doing that, but just slip into that role to give defenses a different look. Those things would be so successful, I think, with him as the trigger man and it would allow him to grow as a screener more effectively. The more passing reads you make means the more defense you see means, you know, you get that neurological chunking. So the reads get quicker over time. It's just like Draymond Green at, you know, his age now is quicker making these reads than it was at like 26. And, you know, it's important to put guys in these situations. It's important for them to do difficult things too, but it seems like everybody's going to be in a very difficult um, offensive environment. I want to switch gears now. Defense. The thing that got the the Bulls back into it in that play-in game, the adjustment was Vooch is going to step out and we're going to see if Fred Van Vliet can beat him. He couldn't. Crazy as that was. Um, The Raptors, without Fred Van Vliet, Dennis Schroeder comes in. I don't suspect he'll be in the starting lineup. Their starting lineup will probably be, let's say, Scotty at the one, probably not guarding ones, though. Gary Trent Jr., OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, Jakob Pertl. Just talked to Caitlin Cooper earlier today. Most people I've talked to, they feel okay saying that could be a top five defense. We'll start with you, Steph. Where do you think they might rank? Oh, you're putting me on the spot here. I mean, Hell Gary, yeah. <laughs> Gary's kind of the wild card there. And I've seen him be really up and down. You know, when he was mm-hmm. with the Blazers, I mean, this guy just gambled way, way too much. And I think Nick Nurse was good for him. 
in uh, like two seasons ago where he got him to calm down. And I mean, I think that gambling element is very important to his defense, though, because he is really good at getting steals. But just walking that fine line, um, he has trouble with that. I feel like I have a I have a number for you that um, Lero might be privy to because, you know, this was an SIS stat, but um, gambles that lead to opportunities for other teams. Uh, second in the league in 2021-22, Gary Trent Jr. So it was like having Jakob back there now will help protect it against that. Yeah. And having, you know, guys at the nail like Siakam, like Scotty, and especially like OG, helpful. But like you, you mentioned, it's up and down. It's very hard to ride the line as like a smaller guard and not a super bursty athletic guard who can dart into lanes and dart back into position is like Gary. He's like a sea in the middle of the Atlantic ocean. If he gets up court and they start the offensive possession with him behind, like it's, it's good. Take him a while to get back into it. Sorry to interrupt that, but yes, go ahead. Oh yeah. I was just going to say though, like at his best though, he is capable of being really good. Like I think he's capable of being well above average. And he was that for stretches throughout the last couple of years. And then, yeah, you talk about Pirtle, man. I am the biggest Pirtle stan. I think he is just so underrated. I was doing this series, um, I think it was about a year and a half ago, on Hidden Gems, like who are the biggest Hidden Gems. And I led it with Jakob Pirtle because I thought he was the most underrated player in the league, specifically on defense. Um, mm-hmm. It's shocking to me that this guy has never made an all-defensive team. You know, both his parents were actually like professional volleyball players, I think. Yep. So he just has this these crazy hops. He's uh, so agile. He's capable of playing multiple different types of schemes, uh, just covering up a ton of people's mistakes. He's played with some terrible defenders, <laughs> and he's made them look okay. Um, so, yeah, like you were saying, I think he could just clean up so much in front of him. He could clean up what mistakes Gary Trent makes. So, um, yeah, putting me on the spot, I think they could be a top-five defense. I mean, if the Bulls are top-five defense, then uh, why not, right? So my question, Steph, the slide step after catching on the pick and roll. Like, you know, Pirtle is the best at it in the NBA is timing the catch on the pick and roll with the slide step through. So you get an extra step towards the paint and you get to put the ball down and use a pump fake and you'll be right at the rim. If you watch him in the pick and roll, he has the best footwork of any big with that specific move. And the worst thing, I asked him about that specifically, and he pretended like I he didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> so frustrating. But defensively, for what it's worth, with the Raptors, their defense was 10 points per 100 possessions better with him on the floor. Uh, as far as swings on off, on off, that was the 98th percentile. It was for like three weeks, like 25 points better. It was insane because they're like, wow, we have a center. This is great. He rebounds. He guards the rim. We haven't had this in forever. Um, Laro, I'll defer to you. Thoughts on the Raptors' potential as a defense? Yeah. Um, on the Gary Trent uh, side of things about his gambling, I think I think you said – I think the way you set it up was perfect because you have guys around him that can kind of insulate him on some of his, his tendencies, right? And I think as a coach – a lot of it is playing your players to to their strengths, right? And I think for a guy like Gary um, that loves to gamble, uh, I think now you have the right personnel to say, "Hey, you know what? Still do your thing, but let's let's be sm- smarter about it. Let's let's just make sure we we take the right gambles and not put our team, you know, let's not have Jakob have to do even more than what he has to do." 
Um, let's not have to, you know, have, you know, Scotty have to, instead of going to the nail, now he has to come a couple steps over the nail and open up his, like, let's, let's just be smart um, and play the right way. And on the Jakob side of things, like, it's crazy, right? I was just having this conversation. I trained this young lady named Olivia and she's about, she's 15. She's about six, one and some change. Um, one of her, one of the things that she does really well is her ball tracking. She's a really, really good shot blocker. And so, you know, us being nerds about the game, right? We, I asked her, I said, what other, what other sports do you play? And she said, volleyball, right? And so I started to ask her, uh, her parents about like, hey, how long she's been playing? She's been playing for a long time. So I went to one of her volleyball games with my wife and I'm just that guy, right? So I went to the basketball, co- I went to the coach, the volleyball coach. I'm like, coach, like, have you had players that have played both and done been well at both? And he's like, yeah. He's like, if, if, if I was a basketball coach, I know soccer is a big thing for basketball, but he was like, I'd have my bigs play volleyball. And so I, I, I dug deeper and I'm, I'm asking more questions. And he was like, well, not only do you work on, you know, your ability to leap off the ground and some of these players learn their second jump, you know, when you try to get up and block shots, but like you learn verticality when you jump and you got to put both your hands up and block those, those kills, those, those, um, those volleys and things like that. He's like, but the biggest thing is ball tracking because when you go up, you got to be able to track that ball where it's going. And then Steph just said that his parents were big volleyball players. So like it, it to me, it makes sense. Like, I, I think it's so cool to hear that. That's why I brought it up because when he said that about the parents, it made me think about it. Um, so it makes a lot of sense because I agree with Steph. Like when you watch Jakob play, like you, the way he go, uh, protects the rim is really cool. I mean, he's got good verticality. He, he protects the rim really well. Um, he can move his feet. Um, I think, and then offensively to go with your slide step, I, I, it's so cool that you said that, right? Because I think for someone that cannot really shoot the ball, like you got to have an edge somewhere, like you got to mm-hmm. find an edge. So where it's not just like a turn, you know, dribble handoff or turn, you know, throw it to the other side of the rim, you kind of have to be a threat. And I think you said it best, like with that slide step, you're able to catch and hopefully beat that guy that's guarding you just enough to either get to the rim or draw a little bit of help. And now you can play a little, little bit, a uh, little bit differently that way. So it's like, I do think they could be a top five defense. I think they have enough. Um, I guess my question is to you is, uh, um, I'm sorry, to Samson, is Scotty Barnes, right? Um, his on-ball defense, you know, point of attack defense. Uh, what Do you think that'll be a way that teams will try to attack this a, a lot more, trying to get some switches to get him to be the kind of be the pressure point? So really great question. I think it takes a lot of times NBA defenses, you're using the shot clock as it's not an extra defender like the baseline or the sideline. It's not that effective. But if guys are going to hunt players, they're going to spend time. And if you want to hunt Scotty Barnes and bring him out to the perimeter, provided that the Raptors don't start putting him on these like elite ball handlers, which I think they moved away from, which is good. The the important thing is, like you mentioned, if it works for Gary insulating against those drives, it's also going to be very helpful for Scotty. And this is the idea, right? When you go when you play big, and that will be a very, very big lineup, like Pirtle, Pascal, Scotty, OG, Gary or Dennis, whatever, it's huge. 
you're going to shrink the floor. Uh, if you're passing, like say you get that step up at the nail and that's a good defender stepping up at the nail, the length on the floor means there's more arc typically on the skip pass. And that length also means if you are making that pass one pass away, it, they also, they're better at recovering to it. And so it's that length is, it compounds with each other. It helps them cover more of the floor in tandem. And they're all pretty fleet of foot for their size. So ideally, if Scotty is popping out, like stepping out on somebody, it's closer to the back half of the shot clock, yes, where his aggression can force decisions and maybe force bad reads or something like that because he will get beat a lot of the time. Guys will turn the corner on him. And that, I think... It's the same ethic applied to Gary is the, you know, you just go with Scotty and Scotty for what it's worth by the numbers, they started winning more minutes with him. Once his ankle kind of healed up after the first stretch of the season, he was much better defensively, especially off ball. And to your point about Gary and the gambling, it's a lot easier to be there to support a guy who's maybe making a few more mistakes or getting the corner turned on him defensively when his shooting is paramount to your success on offense. And it's meaningful that Gary will be out there with a guy like Scotty as far as points per possession on high volume partners, dribble handoffs, Gary and Scotty were fourth in the NBA. Like just having that guy out there important to what they're trying to do. We talked about spacing teams, players. If there's a guy who butters that bread on the offensive side, they're going to be more willing to step up into a spot for them defensively so it's something that I think they'll be conscientious of all of this depends on like they have the players there the personnel to be very good defensively Darko has to get buy-in different like three of those guys in that projected starting lineup expiring contracts things can shake out you know in interesting ways because of that but the defense should be very very impressive and yeah like that slide step too I know I'm harping on about it, but I love it because the Raptors face packed paints and a lot of like, think about Clint Capella who played in this like big wide open paints and he like his shoulders square to the basket because he's trying to get to vertical space. And it's like, Pirtle isn't trying to get to vertical space because A, that's not his skill, but the paint is clogged. So how do you navigate the pick and roll as a roll man? Well, you flip it sideways so that you catch sideways. You get that slide step past the guy digging you know, a little running back. And then as you're stepping through with the slide step, you put the ball down and you've covered like nine to 12 feet of ground and you have a pivot to finish at the rim and you're seven one. It's a really unique fit for the Raptors lack of spacing that, you know, he has a good push shot. As Steph said, it's a, like a nice little thing, but um, unique skills pop up as even more valuable in unique contexts. Uh, defense, 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 the Bulls, Lero, we're going to start with you, man. Sell me on this team. Is this team going to defend like hell? What's the what's the deal? I, I think this team is still going to be a pretty good defensive uh, team. I think when you have, you know, you start with the head of the snake with Alice Caruso. Um, I think he sets the tone for this defense. Uh, I think. I think I, I think a, a lot of people kind of overshadow the. Um, how valuable it was to have a guy like Pat be such uh, be a good isolation defender. Um, I think for the most part, he, he was pretty good last year. And I think Vucevic 
Um, I think obviously you get him in, you know, one-on-one situations, that's not where you want to be, but when you can keep him in a position to where he can use, you know, he's up at the level of the screen and he can, you know, use his hands. He's really good at using his hands in the screens and getting tips and deflections and uh, things like that. He kind of muddies things up on that, in that way. Um, But the additions of Toy Craig and also uh, Javon, I think that only helps, you know, because, Hopefully, Torrey can shoot the way he shot the ball last season. That that'd be great. Uh, but he also brings some some good things on the defensive side of the ball with length and being able to be switchable with, uh, you know, if Pat and him at some point they throw lineups with him and Pat in the lineup or uh, at the same time. And they, you know, you got a guy like Javon who's a bulldog on the ball, um, similar to Alex. But we, as we know, Alex is very different. He's at a he's probably like. S tier <laughs> when it comes to that type of stuff. So um, I do think, you know, and uh, Billy Donovan has always been uh, a coach that has been a wizard on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so I think when you add in the ingredients that they do have, um, I think they can go right back to where they were last season. Yeah. And they were fifth, if I remember correctly, right? They finished fifth and yeah. Okay. Steph. Do you have do you have a pitch for the defense? Are you more optimistic, less optimistic than Laro? I think they'll be a good defense again. Yeah, um, like Laro said, Billy Donovan does not get enough credit for being a really good defensive coach. Even dating back to his OKC days, those were pretty good defenses, and he didn't have necessarily like fantastic defensive talent with Russell Westbrook there. I mean, he did have some like really good defensive non shooting guys that he loved playing, similar to what he does in Chicago, actually. Um, I am kind of worried though that they lost a couple of role players that were kind of Billy Donovan crutches, I guess. Like Javante Green was a big one where I mean most people probably have no idea who this guy is, but he was actually I tell you what, Raptors fans do because he defended Pascal Siakam really well for stretches of last season. Like he yeah. had a lot of really good possessions. Yeah, he's a super tough guy, energy guy, uh can't really shoot a ton of high volume, but I think he was third in the league in deflections per 36 minutes, and Caruso was one. So that's like kind of what the Bulls' defense was built on. You know, Vucevic, Lero mentioned he has really good hands. He was a very high deflections center as well, even though, you know, he can't really move that well. Like, very similar to Jokic, I think. Like, both these guys are just pretty smart, know where to be, uh, can just get their hands on a lot of balls. And uh, Derek Jones Jr. was also like a mm-hmm. pretty underrated defensive player on the Bulls. If you look at advanced metrics, he rates out as like one of the best small ball five defenders. He's super, super skinny, but just like a freak athlete, really good rim protection. Again, can just like disrupt things. So that was, yeah, that was a secret sauce, like pre- preventing teams from getting into their actions just with like really good screen navigation, really good physicality, getting their hands on the ball. Um, yeah, they lost a couple pieces. Javon Carter is actually really good at that too. He's like one of the best at picking up 94 feet, putting a lot of pressure, killing some clock. Um, but other guys, you know, Patrick Beverly obviously like has a reputation of being good at that. They lost him to the Sixers. So I'm a little bit nervous about that, but I just have confidence that Billy Donovan can figure out a way to make magic because he's done it before so many times. I think it'll be interesting to see if they can, you know, if the team stays together, if they can meld the styles you know, last year, because I think like Vucevic, obviously the big benefit to having him on the floor is, you know, not to be the nineties defensive basketball coach, but you know, the offensive possession doesn't end until you get the rebound. Vooch 
every team he's played for and including these bulls like big big you know swings on when he's off the floor when he's on the floor just closing out possessions is much better but also that like it was also a huge swing the other way when Vooch is off the floor the bulls are like in hyper turnover mode they're turning guys over a bunch getting up floor, and when you can you know their top five defense play two styles separately you wonder like how good can you get at marrying the two styles and i think you know vucevic is obviously he has more tools offensively than Pirtle does. Pirtle has more tools than Vucevic does defensively. It'll be interesting to see how aggressive at times both the Bulls and the Raptors get with their big bigs, and especially how they navigate the minutes without their big bigs. This sounds ridiculous, big bigs, but how they navigate those minutes, uh, closing out possessions, trying to wall teams off collectively from getting to the rim all the time, not fouling too much. Because again, that's another Vucevic swing thing is like you, when you have the big guy there to funnel guys to, and he can mostly stay still and, you know, get a hand, get two hands up and then close out the defensive possession. When guys miss those shots, you know, from like six feet and out, that's just great passive defense. And both teams have to figure out how do we navigate those minutes without Pirtle and Vooch. And that, that should be interesting. Lero, you look like you have something to say. I I do. Thank you. I thank you. Um, I think I, uh, when we talk about like Billy Donovan and Steph obviously knows this, right, with DJJ, like he played a lot of minutes at the five a lot. And I'm wondering if Torrey Craig will be that the next guy that he does that with because – I wonder if he'll try like, you know, either Pat at the five or him at the five and, you know, and play them both together, the four and five and see how that looks. And maybe, I don't know. I'm interested in that. I, I would, I would kind of like to see how that looks. You know, you got the the shooting, you got the extra spacing um, because with DJJ, I mean, DJJ, well, I don't even know what I said the first time. Um, like, yeah, he hit some threes here and there. Uh, but I think Tori's a guy that you kind of have to do you know, you don't want to leave him open in a corner. I think that's where he shoots the best career wise um, is from the corner. So I'm, I'm interested to see what that would look like with, in terms of spacing, if that would, if that would help, you know, guys like Zach Levine and, and DeMar um, see how that looks. I'm interested in that. That's just a thought I had pop up. It's like, it's a great off speed. If you can, even if it's like four or five minutes a game, if you can go do the micro ball thing um, over the court, like teams who find that good lineup, you don't want to like really hinge your season on it, but if it's something you can throw in every once in a while, the Raptors, they that was a big part of their 2021-22 season was that they won their no point guard despite Fred winning like a ton of minutes, you know, in that season and being their most impactful impact metric player when Fred was off the floor and they weren't playing any guards, just these big weird winging lineups. Uh, they just won a whole bunch of minutes because they collectively didn't let guys step towards the paint. They caused a bunch of turnovers and they ran out in transition. They weren't able to make that happen this past season. You never know, like the the chemistry can change slightly and it will swing because it's not traditional. There's not easy wins there. You just have to, if you find like, if lightning strikes, you got to hold on to that. And both these teams, I think, are waiting for these lightning strike lineups, and that will help swing a lot of the the in-between minutes. Steph, any thoughts? I just want to say, you know you're on a true Sickos podcast when 
40 minutes into the podcast about the Bulls is the first mention of Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan. And we've already brought up Javante Green, Derek Jones Jr., Javon Carter a bunch of times. <laughs> so respect to you, Samson. But I mean, I think that's uh, that's the beauty of this podcast, right? And I do want to talk about one other. I love talking about defensive players because I think that it 100% does not get enough attention. Uh, and it's half the game, you know? Mm-hmm. But I want to talk about one guy that we have not talked about on the Raptors, who I think could be pivotal for them defensively. And that's Schroeder. Mm-hmm. Uh, Schroeder's defense, also like Gary Trent Jr., very, very up and down. When this guy's not checked in, which has been his problem for a lot of his career, he is horrendous defensively. And when he is checked in, he is a game changer in how disruptive he can be. Top 10 screen navigator in the league. One of the best nail defenders. Awesome, awesome help defender. He was such a key reason why the Lakers made that run. His defense, especially uh, against the Warriors too, like... He is so good at guarding Clay and Steph when they're doing all this like cheap pushing off crap. Like he just does not let them get away with that. Um, so that's you were talking about. Darko is going to be so important if he can get these guys to buy in. Schroeder is going to be the key to your team. If Darko can get Schroeder to play well and play within his scheme, which is not the way that Schroeder necessarily might want to play, you guys are going to have a really good season. And if Schroeder goes off the rails, you know, you saw him, and he can also be good when he's off the rails, right? You saw him in uh, the FIBA World Cup, like he was screaming at his German coach. They still won the whole thing, right? He put his, he, I feel like that was the coach's fault, though. The coach was. Well, like, I mean, either way, either way. You know, that stuff yeah. probably happens a ton of times, too, in the season. We never see it. <laughs> yeah, the point with is, Nick like, Nurse, too. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I've heard some stuff, too. But <laughs> the point is, like, uh, Schroeder is definitely a volatile guy. And when he's checked out, he's just going to kill your team. And when he's not like with the Lakers, he can help you a ton. So his defense, I mean, if he if he's playing good defense, easily a top five defense. That's um that's the interesting part too, though, is like Schroeder not met a lot of players in the NBA have to learn how to defend with their limitations. I gotta slide, I can slide with this guy. On this guy, I'm flipping the hips and I'm like shoulder to the other basket and I'm running with him and I'm just trying to like close space. We're funneling somewhere. Shooter is one of those rare athletes who he can mirror guys a lot of the time. Like really, really sticky. And the help defense is a good point. It's important to differentiate help defense and off-ball defense, though. Even when Shooter is good, the off-ball defense is bad. Like he loses track of guys. He And that's why his help defense is so good because he, he loves the ball. In the vicinity of the ball, he's like at the nail, you said. If he's there for help and there's a drive coming, he's like, Hell yeah, I'm in this. If he's on the weak side and his guy back cuts him, he's like, I'm watching the ball. And so if Darko can get him to buy in, in concept, and apply all of his like physical gifts and technique, like stab steppers around screens with his athleticism and his length, like that wingspan, he's super effective. It's just you got to get that. You got to find that. It's um, It's very interesting. And offensively, this was the point I kept bringing up is the one I brought up at the start of the podcast. Vucevic is switching out on Fred Van Vliet. The Raptors offense completely stalls out because of that. And, you know, some of that is lack of pro proactivity off ball to kind of make those things pay. But, and as you mentioned, the things that people don't like about Fred are also emblematic of Schroeder's game, a lot of it. But also Schroeder can turn the corner on more guys and on those broken plays won't get to the rim. He doesn't often get to the rim. He takes a lot of short mid-range shots, 
but he'll get a lot of paint touches. It will be different than Fred, but on the margins, probably. It's going to be so interesting, man. Um, parting shots. Lero, we'll start with you before we get out of here. Anything you want to say? Yeah. Uh, as for the Toronto Raptors side of things, I'm, I'm interested to see the development of Christian Coloco. Um, I think he's kind of, if he can take a step and be somebody you can have on the floor a little bit longer, he adds even some more length, but also, you know, some diversity and, and things you could do on the other side. Um, so I'm, I'm very interested to see how he looks. Um, you remember and- that game, man. He had, what, six blocks? I know you. Yeah, that's the game. <laughs> I also was a big fan of him coming out of college, but it just yeah. it just definitely uh, kind of seared it into my brain when I saw that that game. He's 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 something else, man. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that goes uh, with Christian Coloco, because I think he can be someone that can contribute to that team. Um, other than that, man, I mean, uh, I just got to be uh, I'm, I'm the guy that's the optimistic person, you know, with this 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 uh, this basketball team. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess that's my parting shot is Christian Coloco. Hell yeah. It, it never hurts when a young guy wins minutes and Christian Coloco last season, one minutes. He also has that funny thing that like, it, it's not necessarily an indicator, but you know, you look at Jaron Jackson Jr. and Rudy Gobert, you say there's a lot of fouls here, but there's also a lot of blocks. Um, the big swing, it can go one way or the other, that, that length and aggression. Um, and shockingly good feet out on the perimeter. He was sliding with guys. He knows when to flip the hips too. Um, pretty impressive. And the, I mean, I got to watch film with him and break down some defensive stuff that was really cool with Christian, but also the organization loves him. He's apparently just like super eager to learn. And when you have tools, that's that's great. Steph, any parting shots? My lasting memory of Christian Coloco is blocking Patrick Williams three times in like 40 seconds last year. <laughs> Um, they called him baby go bear yeah that was probably his best game i, I wrote a big thing i actually it was actually on nba.com in canada about like how christian coloco was going to be the next great center and <laughs> kind of fell off after that but you know he showed a lot of defensive promise i'm excited to watch him the most exciting thing for me though uh for this raptor season is i am waiting for the moment when you sit down with Darko when he draws up all of his plays because he <laughs> promised that he would do this and you have to hold his feet to the fire. You know, I got to see you in action in the That's scrum true. in summer league for the first time. And, uh, it was, it was like, uh, seeing an artist at work, man. Like oh. you're just asking these very detailed questions. I think the other beat guys had no idea what you were talking about. And Darko was, uh, giving you some really good information. So I think that people that listen to this podcast are definitely getting, High level knowledge, not just from yourself, who knows the game very well, but you're asking the right questions and you're getting the info straight from the source. So that's that's what I'm looking forward to here. That was I made this joke on another podcast that when you and I were sitting together at um, Summer League, I just talked to Christian Coloco and then you and I sit down together and then Darko comes by. Hey, Darko, whatever. And then Eric Curry comes by the Raptors 905 head coach. He's like, hey, Samson, whatever. And then there's Jama. And I was like, I bet I seem like a way bigger deal than I am right now. <laughs> you, like you got the, the that was the only time we've ever spent like together, not virtually. And you're probably like, what the hell? Who is this guy? It was the the perfect little pocket. Um, yeah, I was waiting for yeah. Taylor Swift to come down next. <laughs> yeah. Um, my parting shot. I wonder if the the pivot for the Bulls 
I wonder who they're able to keep. I wonder who they decide to make it work with. They have two very pivotal guys. One guy seems like DeMar seems like just because of age and ease of fit next to prospective players, somebody who maybe moves on. But like, who knows, man? It's a very tough team to try and, I guess, keep tabs on for how they might build going forward. And there's a couple swing guys. Um, And also, like, as a last thing, I just hope Lonzo Ball plays basketball again. He is such a treat. Just like, I I talked about this with Jack Kelly, but it's so cool that Markel and Lonzo are these, in their respective drafts, like the highest touted guards. And they're they're like gritty little grinders. They, they obviously, because of injuries, didn't get to lean into their full offensive capabilities. But both those guys have made their money in the league by being like incredibly cerebral defenders and guys who win in the trenches. And that's a first overall and a second overall pick at a glamour position. And those guys succeed in, in the trenches, which is a cool thing to me. So I just hope Lonzo, whatever is going on with his body, I hope he gets sorted. And without any more uh, drama from Stephen A. Smith, I suppose. Let's let's cross our fingers. How's that feel for a podcast, fellas? Stephen A's helping him train. Keep on talking your, your game, Stephen A. <laughs> wow. Lero. Man, I'm just I'm like I'm right there with you, man. Um hoping for the best for Lonzo. But uh this was this was fun, man. Um, this was really, really fun. Yeah. A real blast. For anybody who wants to keep up with some scouting stuff. Cerebro Sports, that's Lero. Swish Theory, that's Lero. And then um, if you want to keep up with the Larry Golden fan club, uh, Steph No, make sure to keep up with the blog post and Sporting News, of course, where maybe uh, you get another, uh, the next center of the century uh, piece from Steph. Fellas, that's it for us. Listeners, viewers, I hope you enjoyed it. More of these to come. And uh, yeah, we'll see you.